Good morning, everybody. So, you know, I'm so excited today. We've got a really exciting guest. Ron Galloway is going to be with us. Um, and if you haven't heard from Ron before, you're in for a treat. He was with us a couple of weeks ago um, and he's going to be with us on a, a pretty regular rotation. So he is going to be talking today a little bit about crypto. We've got some other interesting topics we're going to bring into it. Um, and so, you know, like I said, here at Royal Legal, you know, one of the things we really like to focus on is networking. And so I think that's why you heard a little bit of our connection points here at the beginning for this week, because of um, the depth of topic we're going to go into, we're actually going to skip the breakout group. So if you're familiar with these calls, you know, we typically do have a breakout group in the beginning just to connect with each other. We are going to go straight into the presentation today to allow for a longer Q&A. But inside of that, as we're going through the presentation, just make sure that you keep a pen handy, use the chat if you have any questions or anything that come up. Um, and then Ron, why don't you go ahead and just give us a little introduction about yourself and then we'll roll in the presentation. Yeah, um, I'm Ron Galloway. I recognize some of y'all. I um, I was, whew, my background is so kind of odd, but I was in the investment world for about 20 years as a trader. And then I made a film about Walmart, a big business, which led to a speaking career, which I totally enjoyed um, for about 15 years. And I've sort of kind of drifted back into uh, investments because it's not boring anymore. For a while, it was boring. Now it's not boring. It's actually quite interesting with everything uh, going on. And and really what I'm enjoying the most is, is educational investments because I have friends in, in Prague and Germany and, you know, all over that I've, I've sort of been teaching about. It. And it's very gratifying to me that they learn because I, I tell them all the time, I turned 60 this month and it's like, I'm not always going to be here. So let's go ahead. Let me go ahead and teach you rather than actively do it. Let me share with you what I know. And so um, that's what I'm going to try and do today. My ostensible topic uh, was crypto, but we've had so much going on this week that I thought I would expand it a little bit. And I'm going to talk about, I'm going to start talking about the nature of money and um, and then crypto, how crypto ties into that. And then sort of I'm going to end it up with with my entire actually, I might start it off with my entire sort of investment philosophy, which is that you should have a collection of permanent and productive assets, uh, which you can add to opportunistically and that you have ample liquidity. And we'll see where crypto comes into that as we go along. This is not going to be a pro pro crypto talk. It's not going to be a, a con crypto talk when I get to it. It's kind of going to uh, show both sides because I've, I've dealt with it. I looked up my first speech on it and my first speech was nine years ago on on crypto. So I've been I've been messing with it a long time. Um, but first, what I want to do is talk about this week. But something just popped up when I was uh, when I was logging on. And it's something to think about in terms of crypto and or everything else you have on your phone in terms of money, because uh, Apple and Google uh, blocked all payments uh, in Russia. And so people just trying to get on the subway in Russia were having a horrible, horrible, horrible time with it. And if you think about it, um, people are when they talk about crypto, people are like, OK, you know, crypto is one way to get away from regulation and governmental intervention and things like that. And in, in part, that's true, but almost everybody accesses their crypto on their phone, 
what if Apple and Google decided to turn off all the apps that have anything to do with crypto, which they can do if they wanted to, all right? Then I guess we would have to depend on the internet. But I did find that sort of an interesting line of thought this morning. If you think about who is really now controlling all the payments in the world, because everybody uses their phone and they use apps from the, the App Store or the Google Play Store, then the reality is it's pretty much Apple and Google now that have a huge, huge hand uh, in payments. With regards as to what's going on this week, that will be my dog rolling on the floor is what you hear. Uh, with regards to what's going on this week, here's what I think is going to happen. I'm a huge student of geopolitics. And I think what's happened is, I don't know his reasons for you know going into Ukraine, but what it's done is it's made Russia and China Thank you. China tighter than ever before. And essentially, they're going to meld their currencies together because they've already made an agreement. Uh, you know how the, the, the governments of the world, except for China and Brazil and Turkey, uh, locked out Russia from everything. Well, Russia now uh, has agreed with China that all their oil trades will be settled in, in, a, in either uh, Renembi or some sort of basket of currency that is a ruble plus the renminbi. But what that does is that affects the petrodollar and decreases the demand for the petrodollar. All right. And that's that's sort of what has kept it up is all this oil trading that goes on uh, every day, which leaves the United States in a bit of a pickle in terms of demand for dollars. And other countries are looking at this now going, okay, the United States can just kind of shut off our payments and, you know, like the SWIFT payment system, which is what, what we were attempting to cut them off of, other countries might be looking at that and saying, well, we may, we may diversify outside of the petrodollar too. And in terms of Russia and China, not only are they sort of melding uh, monetarily, but pretty much you, you can guarantee that all the commodities that Russia produces now, their first customer of choice is going to be uh, China. Which leaves, uh, which leaves Europe in the lurch for commodities. For example, like 50% of the wheat for Europe comes from Russia and the Ukraine. So, um, so I think, and inflation, it was just announced in the Eurozone is the highest that it's ever been. And, um, and so I think that's gonna feed into European inflation. And if I had to throw a crazy out idea out there, I think the thing, Europe is in a pickle now because all their energy depends on Europe and, or Russia, and they've said they can't fix that within the next five years. In fact, Germany has just closed down or is in the midst of closing down the last three of the 15 nuclear reactors that they've had. I think that, that what's going to happen is that, and this is just wild-eyed me talking, that we're going to make up for the demand, the, the drop in demand of the dollar by essentially merging the euro and the dollar into one thing. It'll be the dollar, but I think euros ultimately are going to become dollars and that's what's going to support our dollar, which is kind of a crazy thought. But just remember that I threw it out there because if you if you think where is this going when Russia and China, and China is the biggest economy in the world, if China is bypassing the dollar-based system now, then, then what does that mean? for the dollar. And also what that means for us is certain commodities that we get. And, you know, we buy $70 million worth of oil 
every day, today included, uh, from Russia. Um, if Russia and China are tighter together, then there's certain commodities we're not going to have access to, especially some of these uh, metals like palladium that we need for manufacturing. So I think what we're going to see in the world going forward is, is Russia and China, uh, and they, they had a big meeting over the Olympics where they kind of decided to, to work together as partners. It's sort of Russia and China, maybe Turkey, maybe Brazil, definitely Venezuela, which by the way, has more oil than Saudi Arabia, Venezuela does. So it's sort of all them against the United States and Europe. So we're sort of having to get wedded to Europe now even more um, than, we, than we have been. And I think because Russia is going to be shunned for a while, Russia doesn't need us. There's a word that's called Antarctic, I think is what it is, which means self-sufficient. Pretty much everything Russia needs, they've got. They've got oil. They've got food. They can sort of do without the rest of the world. Germany can't. Germany needs Russia's oil and the wheat from the Ukraine and all that. So, and China's a bit Antarctic. I think that's the word, which means self-sufficient. So the, those guys are like, well, they may say, you know, we're just going to do our own thing for a while. And that leaves us in a bit of a pickle in terms of commodities and supply for the dollar. So in my humble opinion, that's sort of where we're going on that. And, and like I said, the Apple and Google thing uh, where they managed to block all payments in Russia, I find troubling because that's two companies controlling the monetary systems. If you think about it part of the monetary systems of another country. So um, anyway, let me go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and try and fire up my uh, PowerPoint here. Let's see if I can do this without making it a complete fail. If y'all will hold on for one second. Is that okay, Megan? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all great. right, hold on one second. Did that make halfway sense what I just said? It made sense. You have sparked some good debate going on over in the chat. That maybe it's yeah, everybody's like, Ron's crazy, but that's actually what I think is is going to happen. Is that we're yeah, it's gonna all right. Can everybody see my slideshow, Megan? Can you see it? Yep, you're good to go. All right, hold on. I can't quite get it to go full screen yet. Let me see if I can do that. Okay, it's still all good. Yep. Okay. All right, good. Uh, this is The Wizard of Oz. Um, you've all seen it, but maybe what you didn't know about it is it's about money. The whole thing is a, is a big allegory about money. And um, there are a few clues on the box as, and, and in the story. Um, we're talking about money today, but what does OZ stand for? Ounce. What kind of road are they walking on? A yellow brick one which would be gold. The, uh, the straw man is the agrarian worker. The tin man is the industrial worker. Dorothy is a stand-in for uh, the Midwestern farmer in the late 1800s. And the cowardly lion is William Jennings Bryan, who is arguing for a hard money standard at the time. The wicked witch of the West were Western banks that were trying to foreclose on uh, the farmers and uh, this is all from an article in the Wall Street Journal, by the way. I didn't figure this out. And the good witch of the East was actually J.P. Morgan, who set up some kind of side financing thing. 
But what's interesting about that to me is that it just kind of proves that everything's all about money. Even stuff you don't think about is about money is uh, about money. There's a great movie, which I'm sure all y'all are too young to remember, uh, called Network. And there's a the speed, there's a very famous speech in Network where uh, Ned Beatty uh, is talking to Howard Beale, who's essentially kind of like a Bill O'Reilly type character on television. But anyway, uh, he's a big corporate guy and he says, there are no nations, there are no peoples, there are no Russians, there are no Arabs. There are no third worlds, there is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems, one vast and immutable, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinatural dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multi-dollars, Reich marks, blah, blah, blah. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. And if you think about it, it's it's true in a way. I'm gonna have a real wild theory at the end on, on what else money can be thought of, but the Chinese have a saying, money is, is life, and it really is. And that's why it's so important to pay attention to what's going on to your money when we have things going on like right now, which can be qualified as black swan events. Hopefully some of y'all have read this book by Nassim Taleb, The Black Swan. And what it talks about is that uh, is things coming out of nowhere that nobody saw that that change everything, which we are going through this week. And here's the thesis in the book. Almost all consequential events in history come from the unexpected. A month ago, we weren't talking about Russia. Nobody was talking about Russia. We were talking about COVID, which also came from the unexpected. So that is a black swan event. Russia is a black swan event. 9-11 is a black swan event. The invention of the computer is a black swan event. Uh, if you want to drill down on it, Netflix was a black swan event to blockbuster video, but was also a black swan event to the movie industry at large, which pretty much doesn't exist anymore. It used to be in Hollywood. Um, occasionally I produce films and, and it used to be in Hollywood. People would laugh at Netflix, but now Netflix is the first place that projects get taken to. So Netflix black swaned the entire entertainment industry too. And we are living through one of the, the biggest black swans I can remember. I've been trading for 38 years and this is one of the wildest weeks I can remember. But a black swan is something that appears uh, by complete surprise. It has a major impact. And then we try and explain it away by human hindsight. So if you look at Twitter now or you watch TV, everybody's like, oh yeah, we knew he was gonna take over Ukraine. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, if you knew that, why didn't you, why didn't you trade on that? Because if you knew that, then you would understand or you would you would have anticipated 100 and I don't even know what it is right now. I'm afraid to look $115 oil. Right. So people say they saw it, but they didn't. But we are living through one of the largest black swan events uh, in my in my life right now. This I'll give you an example of a black swan event. This is the days in the life of a uh, of a turkey. And if you're a turkey and you're looking at graph and, you know, on the on the x-axis are the days of your life on the on the y-axis is is your food intake uh everything looks great until thanksgiving which is a black swan event to you it comes out of nowhere and completely changes everything like i said these are some more examples of them 
World War One started off with that assassination. But the interesting thing about World War One, if you look about it, if you look at it, is it really was it was a debt war. Uh, there was a lot of debt floating around at the time, and that's why countries were so um, mad at each other. It, so it's it's sort of so when I see like what's going on right now, which is sort of a monetary war again, that worries me a little bit. But those are black swan events. And that's what you have to be looking for when you're investing, because you can't just say I'm going to be 40 percent bonds, 60 percent stocks and just let it go or, you know, X amount real estate. I believe you have to always be actively watching what you're doing so that you can be ready for unanticipated events, which is why when I told you my theory of investing, you always want to have, you know, number one is is ample liquidity to take advantage of things that are happening like this week. All right, that is Don Rumsfeld right there. And Don Rumsfeld is famous for his theory of the known unknowns, which is, uh, he said, there are things that, there are things we know we know, there are things we know that we don't know, but the things you have to watch, the thing you have to watch out for are the things you don't know that you don't know, right? Like, we don't know what we don't know about what's going to happen in Ukraine or what the end game is on that. So what you have to watch out for where your thinking has to be centered is on, on known unknowns. You have to try and think about things you don't know that you don't know and anticipate things. For instance, a month ago, you could have thought, what if there is some, as unlikely it is as it is, some big war situation, what would happen then? Well, oil and commodities would probably go up. And so then it wouldn't be an, a, you know, a thing that you don't know that you don't know because you've thought about it. So you just have to always be, be in an anticip anticipatory uh, frame of mind when you're investing, I believe. But as humans, the problem is we learn facts and we scorn abstract thinking. Uh, for example, prior to 9-11, uh, it would have been an abstract thought to put uh, locks on the doors uh, in airplanes to the to the cockpit where the pilots are. That would have been an abstract thought. But right after 9-11, it wasn't. People learn facts, but they they don't do abstract thinking or lateral thinking. And as you all may have figured out by now, I tend to sort of think laterally. Here's the other here's the other sort of macro trend to be aware of is history doesn't crawl, it jumps. And history jumped this week. And the world is never gonna be the same after this. It's a, and, and like history jumped with COVID because all of a sudden remote is part of our lives. And we don't think twice about having remote meetings as opposed to something else. Whereas earlier it would have been, it just would have been completely out of the question and rude and things like that. Now everybody sort of gets it. History jumps. It jumped this week. I think it's going to push. I think the end result is the United States and Europe are going to get closer together. And, and as I said, Russia and China are going to get very much uh, closer together. And, and most of Russia's commodities, I believe, are going to go over uh, to Russia. It's interesting. Uh, we were going to shut off the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That's what we've been pushing for, which sends gas and bypasses Ukraine and go straight to Germany. Well, everybody's like, okay, we've, we've really hurt Russia now because we're, we've shut down Nord Stream 2. 
Well, they've got another pipeline. I think it's called Siberia One, which is, I don't think it's done yet. It's going to be done in like six months, I believe. And it goes, it's just going straight to China. So they're like, Russia's like, well, okay, well, that's fine. You don't want our gas. We'll just sell it over here. And like I said, even in the midst of a war where we're all yelling about Russia, the United States is buying $70 million worth of oil from Russia each and every day. So, I mean, it's the world is a, a complex place. And especially when you're thinking about money, um, money is, it can be lots of things to lots of people in world war two and, um, in the post in Berlin, post-World War II, cigarettes were actually a form of money. These are uh, Disney dollars you can see that are signed by Scrooge McDuck, which you can buy at Disney World and use as money inside of Disney World. But really kind of the evil plan behind this is everybody buys them, they'll buy like $50 worth of uh, Disney dollars. And then they, uh, they'll spend like 30 of them. And they don't then trade them back to Disney at the end of the day. They take them all home because it uh, they look cute. Um, I'll give you another example of this. I'm in Augusta, Georgia, as, as we said before the meeting, and I used to mow about half a mile down the road that way. When I was 10 years old, I used to mow James Brown's lawn, the James Brown. And um, he invented his own money. And you can Google it. It was James Brown dollars. And he was trying to circulate it within um, a chain. He wanted, he had a, a chain of fast food restaurants and he wanted you to exchange dollars for James Brown money and then use James Brown money all around Augusta. He was actually a brilliant guy. And, um, and he tried in fact to pay me in James Brown dollars. And I was like, no, thank you, Mr. Brown. I'm, I'll just take my $3 and, you know, go away. And I, now I wish I'd saved them because they're, they're actually worth something now, but it's a, it's a medium of exchange. It's a store of value. And people were actually using James Brown dollars at the time. In Canada, these were as close to legal tender as you could get for a while, Canadian tire uh, coupons. They're a medium of exchange and a store of value, but mostly a medium of exchange. About 10 years ago, okay, Facebook's been trying to, to dip their toe into cryptocurrency, but 10 years ago, there was something called Ace Bucks where you could send payments back and forth on Facebook. And we thought that was what was going to be uh, their uh, main medium of exchange. They were trying to make that money. Uh, there is a rumor, I can't confirm it, but there is a rumor, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is, is famously uh, into cryptocurrency and he wants, the rumor is that he wants people at Facebook to use his uh, to use Facebook currency and have to use it for everything. So, like uh, Facebook, because like they're buying food, they he wants them to have to their salary would be paid in Facebook crypto, and then you would buy your food and pay your rent and all this kind of stuff with with Facebook money, which which sounds completely crazy, but it's happened in the past. There's a there's an island off the coast of Louisiana where they made um, oh I can't remember the name of it it's a chili pepper sauce ah, I'll think of it in a minute but anyway people essentially had one place to shop which was the company store and a lot of times they never even saw their salary so the the medium of exchange just stayed within 
uh, that community. Somebody, Megan, what's the name of the, it's got the red little thing on the top of the bottle. It's the, it's the hot pepper sauce. Ah, I'm 60. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, you know what it is. It's like, uh, oh, anyway, it's a, there's a great book out Tabasco. about it. Tabasco. Thank you. From the chat. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you so much. It uh, Tabasco sauce, which, uh, and it's sort of interesting that didn't take off. Tabasco sauce didn't, didn't take off until the railroad hit Louisiana back in like the mid 1800s or maybe closer to 1900. That's when Tabasco sauce took off because there was a, a way to distribute it then. But anyway, there is literally an island, which is kind of like an island of salt off the coast of Louisiana. And almost the only medium of exchange were the, I'll just call them Tabasco dollars. This, uh, this strange looking screen right here is from World of Warcraft, which is a video game, which uh, the currency inside of it can be bought and sold on exchanges. So you can buy World of Warcraft uh, dollars to use inside the game with real dollars. And there's an, a real exchange rate going on. This is an alternate form of money. Everybody makes a big deal about Bitcoin, but why is video game money not as real as Bitcoin, I would say it is every bit as real because you can exchange it for dollars. Can you exchange Bitcoin for dollars? Yes, you can exchange Bitcoin for dollars, but you can also exchange World of Warcraft money for, for uh, dollars as you can lots of other uh, currencies inside other video games. Uh, this was straight from the Wall Street Journal. This was a few years ago. It was the currency exchange page and you can see your normal things like the Mexican peso as compared to the dollar. But then you see Star Wars Galaxies credits and World of Warcraft gold and Ultima Online gold. These were actually listed on the Wall Street Journal's currency pages. So those are money too. And, and how is that different from crypto? It's not. If you have some of it, is it a measure of liquidity? Yes, it is because you can exchange it for dollars. Ultimately, everything has to be, you know, to be sort of thought of as real money has to be convertible into, into dollars. But um, so it's not just Bitcoin. Everybody treats Bitcoin like this special thing. But before Bitcoin, people were sort of thinking about this. This is a massively multiplayer online game. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was granted a banking license. So the money inside the game was actually, and I think it was Sweden, uh, was actually thought of, yeah, the Swedish Financial Supervisory Authority was actually thought of as real money. I think of money as, as freedom chips, right? If you have $100, you've got 100 freedom chips and you can do things with it. If you've got $500, you can do more things. You have more freedom. So money is life, uh, the Chinese say, but what I believe is that money is ultimately freedom and your freedom can take many forms. In World War II, your money can be expressed in Berlin as cigarettes. You can express it as um, uh, some of these other currencies that I've shown you, and you can also express it in terms of, of Bitcoin. Uh, since I saw y'all last, well, in the last month, I just pulled these up. I wanted to, before I go into Bitcoin, I wanted to give y'all some comparables in terms of, okay, Bitcoin is a measure of liquidity, um, but is it an investment? And are we pro and con on it? 
But in the last month, this is what the major stock indices have done. And so we'll just call it negative six and a half percent on average. This is the last four weeks up to about 20 minutes ago when I made that chart. Um, so that's stocks and bonds or just stocks. This is oil over the last four weeks. So um, WTI, um, well, Brent is which one everybody looks at is up 24% in the last uh, four weeks. Natural gas is up 115%. I have a friend in Germany and she said her power, her gas bill has, has quadrupled. Okay, so, but that's up. So stocks down, uh, energy up. How about food? Well, if you take a look at lean hogs um, and China, because there's a, a swine flu essentially breakout in China, they've had to slaughter more hogs than they normally would and buy more. So that's driven the price up. But hogs have gone up 21% in the last month, corn, 17%, soybeans, 10%, wheat, 32%. So about two weeks from now, the cost of the bread you buy, you're going to be seeing that as if you hadn't seen inflation and everything else. You're really going to be seeing it in, in wheat. The only saving grace on that page that I can see is the fact that rice has not gone up all that much, but still 3% in a month is, is completely significant. But if you average corn and wheat, which is a source of calories for over half the world, then that's about 25% that, that staple food, a, a, you know, their stable source of calories has gone up in the last month. That's a problem. But it's also something to think about with your investments. Investments aren't just Facebook and Netflix and whatever. Investments also have to, especially now, include looking at things like this. And it's generally okay just to look at it in form of uh, ETFs. All right. And in terms of hard money, uh, in the last month, gold has gone up 6%, which is a bit weird because everybody looked to gold in case everything went to hell in a handbasket. And in the last month, everything did pretty much go to hell in a handbasket and gold's up 6%. You would think it would be up more, but it's not. But look at, look at what is up more, silver, which you use industrially, and palladium is, is up more. So they're, they're up more than gold, which is why I, I spoke of palladium earlier, which is why, and there are ETFs for that, which is why in a, in a portfolio, if you consider it to be a collection of, uh, of permanent and productive assets, uh, palladium is a, to me is a permanent and productive asset because it's being used. Gold really isn't being used. Silver's being used, consumed. Uh, platinum's being used. Copper is being used, but gold is really kind of just gold. I'm not much of a gold bug. Here's an interesting fact about gold. Um, basically, if you took all the gold ever mined in the history of mankind, um, it would pretty much fit inside the Washington Monument, which is a crazy thing to think about gold. But I read it on the Internet, so it must be true. But anyway, you take all these, these things which I've just shown you, and then let's take a look at Bitcoin over the last month. Bitcoin's up 19%. Now, it also had a huge drop a couple of weeks ago. 
but Bitcoin is up 19%. Bitcoin does provide a certain type of liquidity and it can, to some extent, be viewed as a permanent asset, but I'm not sure it can be thought of as a productive asset, except for I'll give you an example. Um, people that have been fleeing um, Ukraine over into uh, Moldova or you know, Germany, some are going into Germany, are finding that their Russian bank accounts uh, have been cut off, but the, the ones that had some Bitcoin have been able to use that in whatever country they go into because there's Bitcoin ATMs everywhere. The fascinating thing about Bitcoin is if you have a million dollars and you go, you try and fly with that from, you know, Augusta, Georgia to Mexico, that's going to weigh, I believe a million dollars weighs 500 pounds in, um, in 100, I believe. Hey, Ron. Uh, yo. Uh, quick question. Yes, um, sir. What, what is the time frame for this chart here? Last last four weeks. All of them that I've been showing are the last four weeks. Okay. Because I'm yeah, trying yeah. Bitcoin down 23% for the last three months and down, what, 5%? Yeah, I believe that for the last three months. But all these going backwards from here all the way starting to here, I wanted to make them consistent. Oh, I'm sorry. So, I yeah. think we're year to date numbers. No, no, no. Last month. As well. Last month. No, I'm very, I'm very, very OCD about this sort of stuff. Uh, so that's that's uh, stocks, that's energy, that's food, uh, that's hard metals, and then that's Bitcoin and Ethereum, which if you look down is up 11%. And I have my own sort of private theory on why that is. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, because JP Morgan has essentially developed their own Ethereum with a lot of the original Ethereum, their own blockchain that is super similar to the Ethereum blockchain that I think is going to be run alongside. Are you sure that. it's not based off the month? I mean, it's, it's up 19%. Now that's, that's, that's how it's, that's how it's traded. Of the last, the last four weeks, just starting today, according to my my data four feed. weeks. I don't know why I heard four months. I'm sorry. No, no, it's four weeks. Yeah, just one month. Okay. Yeah. Um, and because I was trying to base it all on uh, the, like the last time, or actually the first time I talked to y'all. It was like, so since the first time I talked to y'all, blah, blah, blah. Um, but to show how volatile it is too, I mean, it's up 17% just in the last five days. Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin, that sounds about right. But like I said, I wanted to be consistent across all the assets so that, you know, we had sort of comparables. And um, but also to, to give you an idea of like, all right, a diversified portfolio, which is a collection of permanent and productive assets, should be stocks. It shouldn't be bonds, anything but bonds. Bonds are about to get murdered. So uh, stocks, energy, these are sort of the categories I split them up into food. Uh, metals used and productive metals are silver, palladium, and platinum, and um, and Bitcoin, which I guess is still sort of the standard. Like I said, I'm a bit I'm a bit, bit worried uh, about Ethereum. Um, by the way, I mentioned the word blockchain. I finally, the other day, read a definition of blockchain, which is super easy to remember. Uh, I've I've said this to y'all before, but this is in a new way. A blockchain is really just an append-only database. 
It's a database that you can only add records to, but you can't change the existing records once they're put in. That's the easiest way to think of blockchain. And we've had append only databases. Everybody talks about blockchain like it's this new great thing. There have been append only databases around for 50 years at least. So it's it's kind of got a new, uh, you know, highfalutin name, but uh, this is inside baseball, but basically the entire development team at IBM, they had a whole team, you know, devoted to blockchain and pretty much everybody's resigned from it because they figured out this is just an append only database. This really isn't all that complex. Um, there's Bitcoin. Like I said, I started doing speeches about this a long time ago. And in fact, I, I did some mining for a while um, by daisy chaining PlayStations together. That's what I used uh, back in the day to sort of uh, generate these things. And when I gave my first speech, uh, this is 2014, when I gave my first speech on Bitcoin, it was about, it was 10 years ago when it was, you know, about a dollar. And then at the time I prepared this slide, it was like at $600 and nobody ever thought it could go any higher. And I guess this morning, maybe it's 43,000 or, or whatever it is, I, I forget. So, you know, the question is, well, is it going to have another one of these runs where it goes from 43,000 to 250,000 or to, you know, higher than that? Here's one way to think about it. It's market capitalization right now, Bitcoin. Okay, I'm ballparking this. I'm going to say it's between $1.5 trillion and $2 trillion, which is a lot of money, but that's if you add up all the Bitcoin in the world, but it's still less than the value or equivalent to the value of Apple computer, one stock. So while Bitcoin is a, a thing, it's not a big, big thing because if you take Facebook, if you take the Fang, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, and add them together, that's about $4 trillion now. So I did a speech then in Miami, um, uh, it was about a, two years ago, and I actually calculated that the value of all the Bitcoin, uh, all of it in the world was less than the value of um, all the real estate in the lower half of Florida. I think is what I had it. Bitcoin's not as big as we think it is, but you can't think of Bitcoin as really an investment in and of itself, like Apple computer. You think of it as an asset class. You know, it's an entire, it's an entire asset class, sort of like stocks or an entire asset class is the way I think about it. And when Bitcoin was first coming up, you would have things, Mt. Gox was a famous exchange where people held their uh, Bitcoin and it collapsed and all the Bitcoin disappeared. The, the good thing and the bad thing about Bitcoin is, is it's not regulated, right? So it's just sort of a loose assemblage of people. And this was just for fun. This is almost 10 years ago when Richard Branson said he was gonna ex uh, accept Bitcoin for uh, flights. My, I'm trying to give you all some historical perspective and that Bitcoin has been around a while, as have as have other ones. But the, the pro of Bitcoin is, the main pro of Bitcoin is, is that it there's only ever gonna be 21 million of them printed um, or mined. Um, and then it stops. 
Whereas, as I talked about in a past session with y'all, the the number of dollars in existence has gone up 30 something percent in the last 18 months. All right, I believe it's this year or next year when the last Bitcoin is going to be mined and then it can't be mined anymore just by the, the nature of its algorithm. Although there's a loose working group which is proposing that we keep on mining Bitcoin, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But as it stands, the good thing about Bitcoin is that you can, um, that there'll only be 21 million of them ever printed. The other thing, the point I was making about, you know, taking a million dollars in cash across a border is that you can take a million dollars in Bitcoin across a border with just the seed phrase for your Bitcoin wallet in your head, right? It's the, the only thing more portable than Bitcoin money is diamonds, and there's a movie, The Counselor, uh, which has a, a famous expression on it where, you know, basically they say you can sell diamonds on, on Mars and you can carry $10 million worth of diamond, diamonds in the palm of your hand and $10 million Bitcoin and a seed phrase in your head or in cold storage on a little, you know, USB drive or even a baseball card. So that's the upside of it. The, the, and also, if you think about it, it's kind of interesting that that Bitcoin in and of itself is sort of an expression tying it back into the energy markets, which we looked at earlier. It's kind of an expression of power, electrical power that's being used to mine it. So that's a, that's an extremely abstract concept. But like I said, that's sort of the way I think about it. The con is the government getting involved or cracking down on the exchanges, exchanging it back into stuff you need. Because you can't, in general, you can't walk down to Kroger and pay for your groceries in Bitcoin, even though at my Kroger, there's a Bitcoin ATM in there. But it's not really a functional medium of exchange for that type of thing yet. And if it did become one, it would be a, a medium of exchange. I have a friend in Venezuela who uses it uh, as a medium of exchange, but I was like, Dan, what happens if uh, if the app is taken off your phone? Good Lord, that's my son, pardon that. When everything, when one thing rings in my house, everything rings. Um, anyway, there's a way to put this on do not disturb. Let me do that, that works better. Um, yeah, so uh, the con would be once the government gets involved in this a little bit more and the fact that there are so many people, I take a look at some of the people involved in a lot of the, the crypto projects now, and I'm not, I can't say I'm super happy with the people on some of these projects that I see. And a lot of projects, some of, some of the people are brilliant. Um, you know, the Winklevoss twins from Facebook, they founded an exchange called Gemini, which is great. And they're brilliant. But then there were some people that founded this thing called Dragon Coin. And I'm not sure if they were brilliant or not, but it, it flamed out. So the whole crypto space, the way I would think about it in terms of an overall portfolio is something that's part of your portfolio. And maybe it's, it's good to have a certain amount if you're going into a foreign country and for some reason your credit card doesn't work, you can go to a, a Bitcoin ATM and get some money out of that. 
but I don't think I'd ever be holding more than 5% of, of all my assets total in crypto, which sounds like a small amount because people are so excited about it. But, you know, if you look at it in the past, if Bitcoin, if, you know, you had, I'm not going to do one of those if those. Yes, I am. If you had Bitcoin as 5% of your portfolio 10 years ago, just 5% of your portfolio, your portfolio is compounding at an enormous rate. So if crypto really indeed has all that much promise, you really only need to have a little bit of it, I think. And I haven't talked about you know, real estate a lot yet. I'm here to, to right now to talk about crypto. But like I said, the pros of it is, is or are, the pros are, uh, it provides liquidity and to an ex certain extent, it's a, it's a permanent asset. I can't really say that it's a productive asset, but it's something that you can invest in using fairly simple technical rules. Uh, let me see if I have one more slide. Yeah, I was gonna throw one other thing by you. So it, it, the pros and cons of Bitcoin, I'm indifferent to Bitcoin, basically. It's like, it, it's good for certain things, but it's not the end all be all that I think a lot of people think it is. But here's kind of a weird thought for y'all that, that I want to leave you with in terms of an expression of, of money. And uh, a science fiction author thought this up, but it has some validity in terms of helping you refine your thinking about what money actually is. Money can actually be, it's possible for there to be a currency which is denominated in calories. Sounds kind of crazy. But the average person needs about 2,000 calories a day. And according to the USDA, um, that's about 20 bucks worth of food. So you divide that out and the value of a calorie is actually equal to about a penny. Well, why is that any less, you know, relevant than, than Bitcoin? And what are you trying to do when you go to work? You're trying to go to work where you expend calories and you're trying to come home with a surplus of calories. Now, it's in the form of dollars, but you've expended that effort, which is a unit of heat, right? It's a unit of energy. So interestingly enough, it could be that the, the most solid, basic form of currency in the world isn't gold, it isn't Bitcoin, it could actually be uh, calories. Uh, and on that obscure thought, I'll go ahead and take some questions since I, like I always do, Ran long. I ran long. I'm sorry. <laughs>